Yes, we have two readings this morning. So the first one is from Ephesians. That's on page 1175 in the Bible that you got when you came in this morning. We're reading from Ephesians chapter 3 and we're beginning at verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and, and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope um, um, when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So we'll turn now to um, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 to 24, on page 1046. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons, The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger man got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. 
He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast celebrating. For the son of mine who is dead is alive again. He who was lost is found. So they began to celebrate. Thanks, Rick. Now, Temple, we're going to spend most of our time in the Ephesians passage, so probably good to have that open uh, in front of you. And um, we will dip into the Luke one, but just briefly at this point. Well, it's great that you're here, particularly if you're visiting. You've come in on a... Uh, a series that we've been running that we've called Answers for a Questioning World. And we're trying to tap into some of the key issues that our society uh, is struggling with, some of the questions that they're asking. Uh, And today we're actually going to unpack the idea of belonging uh, in a lonely world. And to help us through, I've got a simple little structure, five points. Uh, Longing for belonging... Alone together, the father, his family, and family life. So you know where I'm going. Uh, I'm not going to spend equal time in equal points, so don't panic if I'm longer at the front and shorter at the back or whatever, but uh, it's there. Now, a number of years ago, I think there was a little rock band, some of you might be aware of them, uh, called the the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, you're familiar with the Beatles? Uh, They had a very famous called uh, Eleanor Rigby. And you may remember the question that they asked all the lonely people, where do they come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? It's quite a sad song, isn't it? If you know the song, it's quite a... pulls on the heartstrings and you feel it because you feel the loneliness of Eleanor Rigby uh, as she collects the rice in the church where the wedding has been. Uh, And when she dies, uh, the pastor is the only one there at the grave and goes back to darn his socks. And uh, there's something about writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear. Mandy's nodding, that one. I'm hoping at least one person's going to pay attention to this sermon this morning. But what they're tapping into is that we are, as people, we are essentially made for connection. We are made for relationship. And there's a man, uh, a neuroscientist by the name of, I'm going to probably butcher his name, uh, John Cacioppo, okay? Uh, And he's explored the connection between loneliness and what actually happens in the physiology, the, the chemistry of the brain and so forth. And he writes this. He says, human beings are simply far more intertwined and interdependent physiologically as well as psychologically. So hear that. Physiologically, we are connected, intertwined and interdependent as well as psychologically than our cultural assumptions have ever allowed us to acknowledge. Because we see that growing in maturity is to grow in independence, isn't it? 
It's to spread your wings. It's to cut the ties. It's to move on. And he's saying, no. We, we idealize the rugged individualist. Maybe not so much as we used to, but that was the ideal. The guy, the girl that cut their own path, that went it alone, that wasn't encumbered by the burdens of relationship. But what he says is our cultural assumptions actually are leading us up the wrong path. And if you look at his research, loneliness has profoundly negative effects. Not just on mental health, that's pretty obvious. But it's actually shown that being lonely is as bad, if not worse, for your incidence of stroke and heart attack than smoking and obesity. Some research would suggest smoking and obesity combined match loneliness. Does that surprise you? We are made for connection. We are made for connection. But it's not enough just to have loose connections. We're made for a quality of relationship, not just quantity. Most of us are, are smart enough to know that the friends on Facebook number does not necessarily relate to anything in the real world. I don't think, oh, I've got 400 Facebook friends, I must be popular. No, some of those people don't even know that they're my friends because my, feed, my posts don't come up on their feeds and, oh, yeah, okay. Someone who I asked to be my friend two years ago accepted this morning when I logged onto the computer. I thought, isn't that nice? Okay. You feel the warm glow? Yeah, okay. We need not just a quantity of relationships. It's not enough to go sit in Rundle Mall and be surrounded by a crowd. You can be extraordinarily lonely in a crowd. We need quality. And what we need, I think, is to be, to be known for people who get you. Karen and I uh, and the family moved across from uh, that horrible East Coast, this wonderful metropolis of Adelaide in 2007. And uh, there was one guy here who Karen and I had been at church with and I'd actually studied physiotherapy with. And there was something very special about my relationship with Richard at the time because he was the one who knew that I existed before 2007 October. Okay, the rest of everyone else, as far as it could have been, uh, they were aware I'd just been dropped down at that point. But Richard knew me before. He knew me decades before. Some of you have had this experience. Yes, you've moved interstate, you've moved international. We've heard Oliver and Jamie have been talking about having Jackie and uh, uh, Oliver's dad across as well. And the connections are profound. To be known by someone who gets you, who understands you, and not only understands you, who accepts you. To be known, to be accepted. To have people say, I get you, and yes, you belong here. But not just mere acceptance. It's not just tolerance. We want more than that. We actually want to be embraced. This is why family is so powerful in our lives. Often we only see family and its effect on us in the negative. When you lose it. When it's dysfunctional. But family 
gives our whole life a base, a stability. And there is an image of being in the parents' arms. There's a whole generation of people now, uh, a couple of generations younger than me now, and uh, to be, uh, they've actually turned the, the noun adult into a verb. Uh, and uh, I actually mistakenly bought a T-shirt. I've never worn it, I think. It says, uh, I don't want to adult today. Um, because we long to be a child and actually to be back in the parents' arms, don't we? That is the place where you really feel the love, the acceptance, the belonging that is there. And can I suggest, I want to be careful here, uh, I don't want to downplay the roles of mothers uh, and I don't want to make you feel if you're in a situation where fathers aren't around that I'm having a shot at you. But can I say, I think fathers are especially powerful. I think this is uh, because as we grow, mum was the basis of our support and the psychologists will tell us that as we grow, we move affections we move our locus of control it used to be that mum was everything and in your teen years that moves across to dad Uh, I'm not quite sure why but that does seem to happen and scientists psychologists will say that is normal that is right and the significance of the father at that point in an ongoing way as a pastor I've had many people struggle with the relationships with their father in a way that they haven't with their mothers. And that may just be that mothers are just much better at it than the fathers, okay? I can accept that. Maybe that's true. But fathers are especially powerful. They are the ones who represent that belonging. And we'll explore a little bit about that as well. But our society doesn't do it very well. Alone Together is the title of a book Uh, that was put out a couple of years ago, talking about how we are connected with people across the globe, but we don't know our neighbours. That we are more connected than ever before, but we actually lack the depth of relationship that we need that is there. Uh, A study recently by uh, the government, the Australian government, showed that 40% of us at any given time are saying that we are experiencing loneliness. Now, you can ask why. And you could say, and I think this is right, the traditional sources of belonging, the the ties are loosening. It used to be uh, marriage, but marriage is not as popular as as it used to be. Uh, It doesn't last as long. It used to be family, but now uh, we see children leaving areas, leaving parents. We've just said goodbye to one to Canberra. Uh, We know what that's like. Those ties, it used to be that you'd grow up in an area, you'd live in the area, your parents would be over there, your brothers, your sisters would be around, your cousins would be everywhere. Now, my situation, where I have no biological relation other than my immediate family in this city, is actually very normal. We move around, the ties are going. Neighbourhood. Most of us don't know our neighbours' names, do we? If we're honest, we don't know who the people around us are. We have friendships because of cars, because of phones, because of, we have spent friendships that span the globe but don't span the street. 
And uh, this is because we love the individual. We love, uh, we've moved to a situation where our relationships are more and more transactional. That we're in it while it works. Uh, and a fellow, um, one of my favourite uh, uh, people, a guy called Zygmunt Bauman, said this. He said, one does not swear oaths of loyalty to things whose sole purpose is to satisfy a need, a desire or want. When we turn our relationships into what I get out of them, that's what you're doing. And you don't swear oaths of loyalty to such things because when they stop delivering for what you want, you want to move on to the next thing that does. And he comments, comments, this is pregnant with distress if the things for the consumer's consumptions are other humans. Bauman's big idea is that life is now fluid. A lot of the things that gave us solidity and structure are flowing around and our stability, and we are just awash in this world. We don't connect, we don't feel like we belong. We are at home everywhere, so we are at home nowhere. What's underneath this? I'd like to suggest that underneath our aloneness is fear. One of the things, anyway. Fear of being rejected. Go back to what we need. We need to be known, we need to be accepted, and we need to be embraced. But I think many of us, and I could say myself included, think if you truly knew me, Would you? Would you want to accept me? Would you embrace me if you truly knew me? We live in fear. And so we can pretend. And so we put up a social media image. So we have the stories that we tell that are the bright, shiny stories. We talk about them in Christian circles about the car park miracle. You know, when the whole world is falling apart, you're fighting with your spouse in the car, the kids are feral or whatever, you've got that stony silence. You get out of church, get out of, out of the car at church, and the smile comes on, and, oh, how are you? Oh, you're really good. Rubbish. But if you think that you told them the truth, you might be thinking, they wouldn't accept me. They wouldn't love me. And so we... We live on the scraps of relationships because there isn't the reality that is there. I watched a movie during the week, a very sad movie, uh, called The Marriage Story. Has anyone seen The Marriage Story? There's a few there. Um, it's, it's a story of a divorce. It's not really a story of a marriage. Uh, it's a story of a divorce, and it's really quite uh, heartbreaking. And at the end of it, Charlie, who's the main guy, uh, you may know him from Star Wars. He played Kylo Ren in Star Wars. It's quite a different role. Um, he gets up and sings a song uh, in a bar in Manhattan, I think it is. Uh, it's an old Broadway song by Stephen Sondheim. It's called uh, Alive Again, I think, or Being Alive. And this is the chorus. But alone is alone, not alive. It's about the breakdown of that relationship. And we feel that, don't we? Even talking about it, I'm feeling a little bit emotional. That we are made for this. And our society is not doing this very well. 
So what can biblical Christianity offer in this space? Let's go to the Father. Our passage from Ephesians started with this. It's a prayer. The Apostle Paul, one of the church's early messengers, uh, he wrote to a church in a place called Ephesus on the west coast of Turkey. And he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. The Christian name for God is Father. If you read the Gospels, Jesus never refers to God as sovereign Lord, Lord of hosts. Almost, and I will explain the exception, almost every single time that Jesus speaks to God, he says, Father. He calls him Father. And when Jesus' disciples come to him and they say, teach us to pray, how does he teach them to pray? Our Father. There's this amazing encounter between Mary Magdalene and the risen Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to be looking at it around Easter. It's a, it's a great passage. And Jesus says to Mary, he says, don't hold on to me. I, I've yet to ascend to my Father. Do you remember the rest? And your Father. To my God and your God. Jesus grants his people the right to speak of his heavenly father as their heavenly father. And when we call God father, we're not just giving him a title. We're actually, it's a name. He reveals himself as father. In, back in, in older times, names had meanings. And many of us will know our names. Uh, hopefully, we didn't get called those names necessarily because of what they meant. I'm a case in point. Uh, my name means crooked nose. That's my first name. My second name means horse. And my third name means from the Red Swamp. So put that together. Hopefully, my parents didn't think the future of this child. Crooked nose horse from the Red Swamp. No, uh, hopefully not. But Abraham means father of many. Is that a coincidence? Jesus means the Lord saves. Is that a coincidence? Names have meanings. And when we call father, what are we saying? God is saying my identity is intrinsically tied up with my fatherhood. And as his fatherhood defines him, so he as father defines us. So the Bible tells us that there is a general fatherhood of all creation. That there is a specific fatherhood of the Lord Jesus. And that through Jesus, Christians can speak of God as their father. He defines us. He is the one to whose family that we belong. Father is key. Fatherhood gives identity. Fatherhood offers intimacy. Fathers at their best can be wonderful figures. Can I say at their best? Hear that. Love and compassion. Protection and and provision, 
a concern for welfare and growth. Fatherhood offers intimacy, offers belonging, and it also implies authority. The Bible teaches that the father is the head of the household and God as the father is the one from whom all authority flows under his headship. Identity, intimacy, authority. But for some of us, we find the idea of God as father difficult. It's a hard image. Steve Bidoff, he's written on father, Australian guy, written on fatherhood lots. He said this. He said, I've had rooms full of people weeping, either because their father couldn't show his love or because he could, and they are so grateful. The father wound runs like a grand canyon through throes born in the 20th century. And I'm aware that many of us will feel that to a greater or a lesser degree. Every child dreams of the kind of father they would like their dad to be. Some of us have had fathers who let us down profoundly. Absent, distracted, too busy, aloof, angry, abusive. And we find the idea of God as our heavenly father really difficult. But can I just encourage you just to stop because you're working from the ground up. Can I encourage you to reverse that and work from heaven to us? Because Ephesians tells us It's not the fathers on earth and the families on earth that give the father his name. It is the father in heaven who defines fatherhood on earth. The perfect heavenly father shows what fatherhood should look like. We feel it even in its negative. Even when we look at our own father and we want something different desperately, the fact that you have that desire shows that you long for something more. And God is the one who can give it. His fatherhood defines ours. So if that is you, can I encourage you not to give up on the fatherhood of God because it is in him that we find the perfect father. And not only that, we meet his family. Because fathers, by definition, have families. And Ephesians writes to them, God's family is different. It's not biological. It's one of faith. This is the Lord Jesus. His purpose in Ephesians 2 verse 15 was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. He's talking there about Jew and Gentile, Jew and non-Jew, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Jesus' role... The son was to bring rebel humanity back to God. And as he does that, he brings us back to one another. And so in Ephesians 2.19, he tells us that we are no longer foreigners and strangers, 
but fellow citizens. We belong as part of the nation and members of his household. That people who have put their faith in Christ come to God as father and are included in his family. We've been adopted the highest privilege. Not that we are just accepted, but we are embraced. We are embraced because of Christ. It is made possible through his sacrifice. It is by grace that we come into God's family, by grace that we have been saved. And we are known because our heavenly father knows us better than we know ourselves. Romans 2 speaks of God judging the secrets of the hearts of men and women. John chapter 2 speaks of the Lord Jesus who wouldn't entrust himself to people because he knew them. He knew them better than they knew themselves. He did not need anyone to tell him about humanity because he knew what was in each person. He knows each of us. He knows everything better than we do. There is no surprises for Jesus. You know, when you meet someone and you develop a friendship... And then after a while, something comes up and you go, wow, I never knew that about you. And maybe it's something that's, you know, quite shocking. Uh, something you may not know about me. One of my favourite artists is, I love Lionel Richie. And they, you know those soppy, soppy ballads? Okay, and some of you are just going, Cameron, I thought you were so tough. Okay, I like 80s diva, you know, rock diva things. You know, Bonnie Tyler, big hair, that kind of stuff. You know, I love that music. I grew up with that music. You might be going... Oh my goodness, that, that shock. Jesus would never say, oh my goodness. There is nothing about you that is going to shock him. He knows you to your core and through him we are accepted. He doesn't accept us because we are acceptable. He accepts us because Christ made us acceptable. The Father welcomes us in because of the perfect finished work of Christ, his perfect obedience, his death on the cross for us, and so the Father embraces us. You may remember the second reading that Rick read for us, very famous parable, probably the most famous, probably right up there with the Good Samaritan, they can argue about which one's the most famous. But that wonderful image the rebel son has gone away. He's rejected his family. He's taken his father's wealth. He's wasted it. And he comes back home thinking the best he can get is a job as one of the hired hands. And if we're honest, we might be thinking, yeah, he'd be lucky to get that, actually. And you read this. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. This is the son that deserved nothing. Nothing other than rejection and condemnation. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. And if you understand that parable, that story that Jesus told, that is you and me. In Christ... The Father has run to us and put his arms around us 
and kissed us. That's why Jesus can say to Mary and say to us, my father and your father. That we can know the embrace of a father's love. The father stretched his arms wide because the son's arms were stretched wide. The son went to the cross and died in our place so that we might have the acceptance that by right only belonged to him, but by his grace extends to all who put their faith in him. And as we come to the father, we come to his family. Paul here tells us the family is not future. The family is present. As a prisoner for the Lord in verse Chapter 4, verse 1 of Ephesians. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What's the calling? The calling is the calling to put your faith in Christ, to come to the Father, to come into his family. And what he's saying is you have received this. You are part of God's family. He is your, fam- he is your Father. His church is your family. This is reality. And this is how the New Testament and the Old Testament works. It tells us in Christ, this is what you are. So be this. It's not if you work hard enough, you will get there. You are there by grace. So be there. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You are the family of God, Trinity Church Brighton. So be the family of God. He says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. He tells us of a body, a church, a family, united together. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father. This is what we've been called to. But you know what? I've been a Christian now for more than 30 years. Um, Churches don't often live up to that, do they? If we're honest. Churches don't often live up to that. Some of us feel... The loneliness is actually made worse in a church. That we need to keep the walls up more in a church. That's not the way it should be. So how should family life work? Let me just spend a few minutes. I've got here, for those of you who didn't like the fact that my five points didn't all have the same starting letter, here's where I get into alliteration. There's four Ps just to finish off with. Recognise that this is a reality that we have in Christ, but it's a reality that we are called to live into. A place that we can truly belong with a father who accepts us in Christ completely and embraces us. And Paul and the Holy Spirit behind him calls us to live into that. So what's Paul's first thing? Does he give you three practical steps? No, he tells you to pray. The end of chapter 3, he asks that God, this is the reason that I bow the knee, and he asks God that they might know the love of Christ. I love this. 
the depth and the height and the width and the something else that I've forgotten. But then he says, and then to grasp or to know that it passes all knowledge. To grasp the thing that it is not possible for you to grasp because it is so huge. It is so huge. It's like when you, maybe if you, uh, I, I do a lot of bushwalking. And every now and again, you walk into a place and you kind of see a bit and you kind of go, wow. Then you walk around a corner and it opens up a bit more. It's like, oh, I just got better. And then you keep walking. And what Paul is saying is that he's saying that by the Spirit, he wants you to walk around the next corner and the next corner and the next corner and the next corner ad infinitum to infinity and see that God's love for us in Christ gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Paul wants us to know that. Why? Because when we grasp God's love for us, that then overflows to others. John says we love because he first loved us. The answer isn't to try harder. The answer is to go to God and say, show me more of your love. The wonder of your grace. One of the amazing things about the gospel is if you never leave it behind. We are always sinners until Christ returns. We are always in need of his grace. But if you turn that around, you see God's mercy new every morning new every morning. Paul says, pray that you might know God's love for you in Christ. Recognize the privilege. Recognize the privilege. I think sometimes we treat something that is holy, that is bought with the blood of Christ as mundane. I can remember doing some research uh, years ago, a couple of churches ago back in Sydney. So you don't know any of these people. Uh, that's okay. Hopefully they're not listening to this online. Uh, but what we did, great church. But when I dug into how they understood church, church was up there with Rotary, with the Sporting Club, with the Knitting Guild. They were all just voluntary associations. And can I say, those other great, they're, they're great. But the church is not a voluntary association. You might think it is, but it's not. Because Christ died so that you could be part of this. He didn't die for you to be part of that sporting team or rotary or whatever. But his blood was shed so that you might be here. That you might say, my father. And some Christians will say, I know, I'm part of the universal church. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's like saying I'm part of a universal family. I never get together with them. I don't know any of their names. It doesn't work. The family are the people that you're with, the family that you're spending time with, the family that you are known by. Recognize the privilege. Make it a priority. Because Paul says this is what God has made possible. This is what God has made real for you. But unless you live into that, it is empty. It's like having money in the bank, but you never draw on it. 
Christ has made it possible for you to say to the Father, my Father, and to look around and see your brothers and sisters in Christ who love you imperfectly, but with the love and the grace that has been shown to them in Christ. Being together is vital. I want to tread on some toes, so please forgive me. I'm going to pick on numbers of people, so not just... Not just some. Okay, let's start, let, let's start with the older people, okay? Um, you guys love getting in your caravans and going away for months on end, okay? You do, don't you? You love your holidays. Uh, and all you need to do is go to Broome or uh, Catherine at, at sort of uh, from about May through to about September. And there's just hordes, they call them the grey nomads. It destroys church. Because you're not part of your family. It's not saying don't go on a holiday. Cara and I are getting on a flight tonight. But don't set your life up that it actually stops you putting down roots in a place. That you walk back in and there's 30 people you've never seen before and you feel, oh, I don't feel like I belong here. You see that? Recognise that this is something that God has given you. Take your holidays. Great. Enjoy them. But don't set up a pattern of life that actually excludes the privilege of being part of a family. Younger people. You know what? Penalty rates, they're so much better on Sunday, aren't they? They're sweet. I used to get paid double and a half as a physio, and so I'd be getting paid like 60 bucks an hour, and there was no work, and this was back in like the 90s, that was lots, so I could often sit there and watch the cricket in the hospital and get paid bucket loads of money to do it. I learned very early on as a Christian that I needed to say no to Sundays. And I would go to my non-Christian peers who resented the fact that they hadn't been rostered on Sunday and say to them, would you like to work my Sunday and I'll work your Saturday, knowing that it would pay less and I would work harder. Okay, I don't set myself up as a great one. But don't reckon that money in the bank, physical money, can replace what Christ's blood gave you. Parents, where is flourishing found? We often have this kind of attitude that we need to dip into lots of different things. My child needs to play music. My child needs to play sport. My child needs to be in drama. My child needs to do all these things. Actually, the number one place for your child to flourish is amongst God's family. Sport is great. Don't get me wrong. Play sport. Play a sport that plays on another night that's not Friday night so that kids can be involved in youth. Play a sport that doesn't play on Sunday morning. Okay? Because the fact is, at the end of time, when they stand before Christ and they say, and he says, so? They said, I'm a really good soccer player. <laughs> so what? So what? But she actually said, look, I was amongst your people and I grew there and I praise you for your grace. That's worth saying. Okay, I've probably offended most of you now. So let's move on. But make it a priority and persevere. Church is not always easy. Paul recognises that. Paul recognises that. Now, you don't give up on your biological family. It's very hard to cut those ties. It should be even harder to cut ties with God's people. Persevere. 
Paul says this, be humble and gentle, bearing with one another in love. Why? Because you need to bear with me, I need to bear with you, and you, we all need to bear with each other. We are a community of sinners. And we go in there knowing this with humility and with gentleness as Christ has been humble and gentle for us. He bore with us. Paul writes to the Romans, while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. Tell me that's not bearing with someone in love. Make every effort strenuously exert yourself to keep the bonds, to work at it. And you do that by going back to the Father, by going deeper into the Son's love for you. You do that there. Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, just as Christ has been patient with us. And you have been very patient with me. It's now time to pray. Father, let us see the wonder that we can come to you and know you as our Heavenly Father, that in Christ you have wrapped your arms around us, you have welcomed us home, you rejoice over us. My children who were lost and now found, who were dead and now alive, Father, you tell us that the angels rejoice in heaven when we come home. Let us stay there. Let us rejoice in your love for us. Let us rejoice in the family that you have put us amongst. Let us know what it means to truly belong as you have made that possible for us in Christ. And Father, as we speak to this world that longs for connection, that longs to feel that they are known accepted and embraced. Let us point them to the reality that is possible in Christ, that they too with us might call you Father and call one another brothers and sisters with Jesus, our great brother over all. And in his name we pray. Amen.